I want to thank the uh, session of First Press, and Knox, and the kindness of Arrington, letting me use an office the other day. And uh, it is good to be here. I grew up at 700 Myrtle Street, which is right across the street from the high school. If I was not there, I was at 801 Duane Street, the home of Larry Albert. We grew up together. And uh, I have known some of you longer than I've been married to Melanie. <laughs> I don't recall not knowing David Justly as I grew up at Bay Street Presbyterian Church. And it's kind of astounding that uh, some of you have changed and I have not changed at all over those many years. I um, went up to someone and I said, but Jimmy Stewart, he said, you, you look good. It was Dr. Abraham. And I said, well, you know what Jimmy Stewart said? Jimmy Stewart said, when you're young, you're good looking. When you're old, you look good. <laughs> if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians and chapter 12. And by the way, I want to let you know that uh, we normally have a church a week that we pray for. And First Press has been one of those churches that people are supposed to pray for throughout the week. And we have had you all on that list as other churches as well, and based really included in one. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 12. If you're able to stand, I want to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. It's something that was done throughout the history of the church. And um, I'm going to read some in chapter 11 and then move on to verse 12. And starting verse 12, read down through uh, verse 10 of uh, the 12th chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, so let's start in chapter 11 and verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if I do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. You gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Whenever anyone else dares to boast, I, of I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman and far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and others and often near death. And then if you move on over please to uh, the 12th chapter and the verse 1 of the 12th chapter. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know uh, that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not to be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, Lord about this, that he would take it from me. But he said to me, and this is an end, listen to this please. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. I would ask you please to pray for me as I seek to preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word. In a moment, I'll lead us after a time of silent prayer. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we live in a world full of distractions. Uh, it would call us away from faithfulness. It would cause us, O oh Lord, to be in despair. It would cause us, Heavenly Father, to have misplaced priorities. And so we would ask our God that as we come to the scriptures this morning that you would bless us as your people. And pray that you would help me as I preach your word to do so with unction and the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray that you be with the congregation. We ask if any are here that are not converted that you would grant them to be saved. And you discouraged, O oh God, that you would encourage them by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to live very long in this world before you realize there are unpleasant things that occur. The life of a child, he could refer to us uh, instances of his life that have been unpleasant. And as you go through life and grow older, you certainly go through losses and hurts and disappointments. And we have prayed about those things, have we not? And sometimes God gives us relief in other times, he does not give us the relief that we ask for. And we sometimes live with a sense of hopelessness, do we not? Or perhaps even a great confusion. I want to read a poem to you. And listen to it as I read it, please. You'll recognize it, at least I think you will. Prophet said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by the heavens that bend above us, by the God we both adore, tell the soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden, it shall clasp the sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quote the raven, nevermore. By that word, our sign in parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting, get thee back into the tempest of the night's plutonium shore. Leave no black plum as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken. Leave, thy, leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit above my door and take thy beak from my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. As the raven, never flitting, is still sitting, Sitting still upon the pallid bust of Paulus just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamp lamplight o'er him streaming through the life, through his shadow, through, throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Edgar Allan Poe, as you know, wrote this. And does it seem 
and has it ever seemed to you as a Christian uh, that God seems to say no, no, no again and again and again, no matter how much you plead, no matter how many tears you cry, no matter how much your heart is broken and breaking, and still the Lord says no. There is a hymn, I meant to find it, I, didn't, I don't remember what it was, but there's a line in this hymn that says something like this, uh, the, the mystery of unanswered prayer. Is it a fact that God does not answer our prayers? Does he simply close his ears to us as his children and not answer our prayers? We're going to see about that this morning. The Apostle Paul offers up this prayer and God says no. We have to see this morning as we go through this that every trial that God brings into our lives as his children, and we bring that trial before him through supplications, he hears it. The prayer that we bring, and he answers it according to his wisdom. And so, three things uh, this morning, that our prayer life should be stirred by trials, our prayer life should be offered up in confidence, and our prayer life should be a means of securing peace. The first thing then, our prayer life should be stirred by trials. The context of this situation is this, there are false teachers that are infiltrating uh, the churches uh, at Cor in, in Corinth. They are teaching false doctrine. Paul calls them super apostles because they're holding themselves up as having uh, some super knowledge. And apparently they are uh, experts in uh, their speech. Uh, like the, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2 and 12, they talk about Herod. Uh, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered his oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Well, that's how these people are holding themselves up before the Corinthians. They are orators. They are great speakers. They give the evidence of having great wisdom, but they are polluting the gospel. I used to work at the Forest County Co-op. How many people knew, know what the Forest County Co-op was? A few. I worked there for about three years, and up front we sold poisons, and there was a little bottle of nicotine, liquid nicotine up front. It was about two ounces extremely toxic. You would mix it with water and ports, um, you know, spray it or pour it on your plants, it would kill the insects on it. Well, it would make water unfit to drink. Listen to this. False doctrine makes the gospel unfit to hear. How far away can we go from the truth of the scriptures before we pollute the gospel? And it is if we hit at the heart of the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. If we alter that one iota, uh, then we have lost the gospel. And that's what's happening here. That is what exactly the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And these people are braggadocious. Uh, they are flattering uh, themselves and they are flattering others with the way that they present themselves with their words. And so the Apostle Paul then says, well, if you are going to boast, though it's foolish of me, because it serves no purpose to the gospel, just to put you in your place, then I will boast as well. And see, he goes on to talk about this great vision that he had. He gives him his credentials. Are you a Hebrew? Well, so am I. Are you one who is an Israelite? Well, so am I. Are you the offspring of Abraham? So am I. 
I am a better servant of Christ than you. And he goes on to talk about the sufferings that he has experienced because of his commitment to preaching the gospel. We can ask ourselves this question. As we look at the life of the Apostle Paul and what he experienced, he talks about being beaten. He talks about being at sea for a night and a day. He talks about being shipwrecked. All of these things done, uh, experienced by Paul for the sake of the gospel. How much do we give ourselves to the cause of the gospel day by day? Are we willing to be persecuted for the cause of the gospel? Are we willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel? Or do we, like too many, leave here and go home and forget about Christ until the next Lord's Day? Are we like that? Well, we have to have the same commitment, the same passion that the Apostle Paul had for the gospel, and we live under the watchful eye of Christ day in and day out. And we enjoy his mercies every moment that we live. And so he should be uppermost in our minds uh, absolutely uh, every moment that we are awake and thinking. He should be uppermost in our hearts and minds. So in order to uh, defeat these uh, false teachers, he goes to the creme de la creme of his vision that happened to him. He relates it here in the text I read to him a moment ago. He speaks in the third person. Why does he speak in the third person? I think he does so because he does not want them to know until the end of it that he's referring to himself. Fourteen years ago, he says. Now, he has not uh, talked about this, so far as we know, ever. Uh, he had this great vision. He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, but I don't know. But what I do know is when I was there, it was fantastic. This beatific vision that I had. He said that I heard things that's not even lawful to speak in this life. This great vision that the Apostle Paul had was so tremendous. It was apt to cause him to be arrogant and puffed up, prideful, braggadocious perhaps. And I think we understand that Paul, by nature, was very likely an arrogant man before he was converted because he was brilliant. He was a persecutor of the church. He was so committed to God, he persecuted Christians. As he understood the Old Testament, Christ was not the Messiah until he was converted. And so here, after having this marvelous experience, this vision that the Lord gave to him, Paul says he was given a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. <clears throat> There's reason to suspect it was his vision problem because he talks about it in the scriptures a couple of times. I know that you would have given me your eyes. At the end of the book of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I write. So it might have been that he was uh, nearly blind. It was an inconvenience for him, but it also apparently he had pain as well. This thorn in the side, this thorn in the flesh speaks of discomfort and pain that the apostle had. So he was afflicted. He was severely afflicted. And this happened to him because of the fact that God gave it to him so that he would not be arrogant, he would not be boastful, caught up into the third heaven, which is the place where the angels dwell, which is the place where the saints are gathered together after they leave this life. It's the place where Christ, talking to the thief on the cross, said, today you shall be with me in paradise. It's the place where Enoch went after he was not, had not died but taken up into heaven. And Elijah went after he was, did not die but was taken up into heaven. It's the place where the saints of men are, the souls of men are made perfect according to the book of Hebrews, heaven itself. 
The first heaven is what we see, the sun. The second heaven is the stars. And the third heaven is the place where God's people go when they die, heaven itself. Paradise, as it's called by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was caught up into the third heaven. To keep this in mind, the Apostle Paul is the only individual ever to ascend into heaven and come back down to earth, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Ephesians, it talks about that he descended to the lower parts, that is the incarnation, speaking of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also ascended again into the heavens, taking with him a, a train, if you will, of captives in his train as he ascended into heaven to give gifts to his church. The Apostle Paul is the only person spoken of in Scripture that ever was taken up into heaven and came back. And because of this, again, he was given this affliction given by God himself to humble him. It's nice to know that even the Apostle Paul was a man who would struggle with arrogance and pride, and God saw to it that he did not, uh, that he would not be uh, led to that. And what does it say in the Scriptures that he is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? Well, the Apostle Paul became a man uh, who was a, very aware of his great need for God's grace. But the second thing is that we, uh, uh, our prayer life should be characterized by a confidence. A strong confidence. Uh, the logic of prayer in trials. Um, there are things in your life that you can affect. Uh, you choose who you marry. Uh, you choose your job. You choose where to live. There are other things in your life that you simply cannot affect at all. You're powerless to bring the change that you may want to see happen. You go to the doctor and you're told you've got cancer. You can't just make it go away. In Houston, MD Anderson is a big cancer hospital. I can't tell you how many times I've been there, not because I'm a patient, but to visit people. And you see things that uh, are heartbreaking with children. You see people suffering severely from the, the chemicals they're given in order to fight the cancer. They can't unchange that. They can't undo that. They can't alter it so that their cancer is just magically gone. There are things in our lives that we simply cannot control. An unconverted child. A broken relationship. You can't make people love you. These are things that happen to us that we would never have chosen given the opportunity but they come upon us in God's providence. And things that are trying, things that are hard, things that are heartbreaking. It's like an Elvis song, Where Could I Go But To The Lord. Some of you may know that song by Elvis Presley. I hope all of you know who Elvis Presley was. Where Could I Go But To The Lord. That's where we are. That's where we come. And see, if you're a believer, you recognize, I need to pray about this. I need to go to the Lord about this specific thing. Because as I look at it, as I examine it, it's beyond me to deal with it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the will. I don't have the energy. And I can't go through this on my own. David Justly, I'm going to tell this story. I was in Houston. My brother lived in Laurel, Mississippi. He's now in Houston with us. And there was a possibility 
he had cancer. I talked to David justly. I said, I can't go through this. This is a pastor. We'll go through it together. That is a pastor. We'll go through it together. Christ is our pastor. Christ is our help and our support and our strength. And so it's quite logical then in times of trials and times of hurting and times of sorrow, in those times in our lives when we wish that we could make things change, but we can't. We go and pray and seek God's face about it. And what a, how sensible it is to pray. The God that we worship and adore is a can-do God. We can't many times change things that we would like to change, but our God is a God who can do all things. He is the creator of all things. He's the sovereign God of all things. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He can do all things. He is omnipresent. He is always with us. Jesus himself said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Though the storms of life may overwhelm the deck of the ship as the, as the waves break over the bow, be assured of this, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says our great God. So it's sensible to go to prayer and to pray to our God, who is the God of all power and all grace and all wisdom. And we have to recognize as we ask for good, we have to define good from God's perspective. Romans 8, 28, you've probably been quoted that many times. All things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We will never understand that verse as long as we define good from our perspective. God determines what's best for us. God determines what is good for us. And though it makes no sense to us whatsoever, trust me, he says to us, trust me. If I may use David Justly again as an example, I got a phone call one night, I think from David. A friend of mine's mother shot herself and killed herself. I said to David, why? Why? He said this, we may never know why in this life, but in glory it won't matter. You see that? In glory it won't matter. Paul says in the book of Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present life do not compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have to keep in mind this is a fallen world. We have to keep in mind this is a broken world. You have to keep in mind that we will not live a life free from trials as long as we are alive in this place. But the day will come when all things will be made right according to the scriptures. And we have God's word on that. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know he's always with me no matter what people may say. Christ is risen. And that's the Apostle Paul's confidence, you see. Jesus is alive. His great Savior. And he has that great energy and zeal because of his confidence of the resurrection of Christ and the realities of the second coming. If I may read to you from the book of Hebrews, 
um, three verses that I have found to be very, very encouraging. The, the theme of the book of Hebrews is the high priesthood of Christ. There were people that were getting ready to leave and, uh, the church and go back to the temple because uh, well, they were suffering. They were being persecuted for the cause of the gospel. And where is their high priest? Mother well, of the Hebrews tells them, well, our high priest is in heaven. He intercedes for us in heaven. We have this written in the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, uh, which is very encouraging and should be to all of us. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. If we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. Where can I go but to the Lord? So we pray and we pray in confidence in our life. We have a, a Savior who is compassionate and a Savior who is able to help us and sustain us as we go through these difficult trials. The last thing then, I have, to, I don't have, a, I have no idea what time it is. I don't know how long I've been preaching. I have no idea. I'm good? Good. Our prayer life then is a means <coughs> of securing peace in our life. What does the Apostle Paul say here uh, in 2 Corinthians in the 12th chapter about his weaknesses? He says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm going to boast in my lack of ability. I'm going to boast in my lack of strength. I'm going to boast in my lack of understanding some things in my life because he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You've got Paul pleading. Take this away from me. It's hurting my ministry. It's causing me uh, to be uncomfortable. It's causing me to have to d depend upon people. I don't really want to do that. Well, please take it away from me. And he says three times he prays it. And Christ says, no. But he doesn't simply say, no, you understand. He doesn't simply say, no, you're on your own. I uh, hope you do well. Go in, in, in peace. It's not at all what Christ does. It's not at all what Christ does to us and for us when we're suffering. He says this, my grace, my strength is sufficient for you. Now what does that mean then? Well, that means that we have to trust. Habakkuk 2, 4 a life verse. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk has just gotten word that the, um, the uh, Jerusalem was getting ready to fall into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. This ruthless, bloodthirsty people coming into their land and they're going to destroy it. They destroyed the temple as well. And so he comes to this conclusion I must live by faith and by trust in God's promises. How Paul came to this knowledge of grace being sufficient for him is unknown. I do not know if it came to him by way of God's revelation to him. I do not know if it came to him by way of experience. 
or some type of special um, revealing. I don't know. But what he says is exactly true. My grace is sufficient for you. And so we recognize and we come to those times in our lives and we say how desperately, and we're taught how desperately we need Christ. How well do you think you would do dealing with temptations on your own strength? Where's comfort to be had apart from Christ at a time of death? And when we have those experiences in our lives that are wonderful, then we praise God for those. We have those experiences in our life that are not so wonderful, we praise God for those. Why? Because it drives us, you see. It drives us all the more to Christ. That's what Paul learned. My grace, he says, is sufficient for you. So look to me and depend upon me and you will find rest and you will find confidence and you will find hope that is everlasting. And the trials of this life cannot take that away from us. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Gary Cooper was an actor. I think he was nominated for an Academy Award back when Academy Awards meant something. Five different times, I believe. He played in um, The Pot of the Yankees, about Lou Gehrig's story, and Sergeant York, and all these different uh, movies. High Noon, it may have been his last movie, I don't know. He won an Academy Award for High Noon. He was developed prostate cancer. It metastasized, I uh, think, to his colon. And somebody was talking to him and uh, asked him about the disease. And he said, some to the effect, whether or not I'll get over it, I don't know. But if God desires me not to, well, that's okay. Can we say that? If God desires not to give me relief from this, if God desires not to take this away from me, that's okay. Are we at that point of faith in our lives? Are we at that point of being able to be submissive to God's providence, no matter how difficult it may happen to be? As we recognize again, He is sovereign. He is sovereign over these matters. And every time we deal with a trial that is heartbreaking, it comes to us from the hand of a God who is all-wise and all-loving. And He has our best interest in mind. You say, well, I want to be happy. I got to have this to be happy. God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. I'm not saying he's not concerned about your happiness, but he's much more concerned about your walk of faith and your holiness of life. How much are we like Jesus? In times of difficulty, in times of trial, we have a Savior who says, come to me and know my strength and know my peace. Believe in the promises of God. Believe in the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, and I would encourage you to come to faith even this day. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. I would encourage you to come to Christ if you're not a believer. And for those who are Christians this morning, 
Whatever you face, whatever you deal with today or in the days ahead or the months or years ahead, his grace is sufficient. Live in that truth. Look to him. Ask for his help. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you, O Lord, for the trials that we come into our lives because those trials remind us of our own weaknesses and of your great strength and your kindness and your support to us in the days of great difficulty. We give you thanks that you will never leave us. And we also give you thanks, our God, that we have heaven to look forward to. That is ours. And we will simply enjoy more fully one day the redemption we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray that we'll remember that the day will come when we will, for all eternity, be free from the ravages of sin, death, completely free from the effects of the fall as we are made whole, glorified in Christ in that day. We ask in Jesus' name.